the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining It is the third morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord 2019. Thanks for being with us. Uh, joining us now, as promised, it's kind of weird because we're starting our work week with Peter Kirst now, but it is Tuesday. It is not uh, Monday. That's the thing we have to remind ourselves. I hope you enjoyed your Labor Day weekend. And I hope that for Peter Kersenow as well, who joins us now, Cleveland attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, best-selling author, and also the host of the Kersenow Report. Peter, good morning. How are you, sir? Doing great. Five days until the Browns return. Most people <laughs> think it was 1999. It's actually 20 years late. I think the Browns are returning in five days. Are you literally going to just eliminate and erase 20 years of, of, of football and pretend it didn't happen? It was a bad dream. <laughs> It was that. It was that. That's that's nightmarish proportions. There is what I would call it. So, Actually, what? last year wasn't bad. Last year was very hopeful. We did. I, I think the second half of the season was really. It was. Yeah. It was really. A, it was fun to watch. But I think this year it's going to be a real football team. I do too. I do too. Uh, expectations are through the roof. Let's just hope that they don't get crushed underneath them. I still worry about the head coach. Not that I have anything against Freddie Kitchens. It's just that he's never done this before. He's never even been hired as a as a coordinator before. He was appointed a coordinator from running backs coach in the middle of the year last year when the changes were made. So that's my only concern is, is he ready for the job? But we'll find out, uh, like you said, coming up in five days. All right, Peter Kirsten, I want to play a quick clip for you, and then I want to talk about guns. I want to talk about what happened in Midland, Odessa, and I want to talk about the hysterical overreaction of the do-something crowd uh, in uh, response to that. The idea that we don't have elimination of assault-type weapons, magazines that can hold multiple bullets in them, is absolutely mindless. It is no violation of the Second Amendment. It is uh, it's just a, a bow to the special interest of the gun manufacturers in the NRA. It's got to stop. New premise. The stop. idea that we... Uh, you were you once, Joe. I don't want to hear you twice. Uh, so the idea that we can't stop 
uh, magazines that have multiple bullets in them uh, is is unconscionable. That's something that we have to stop. Pete, I know Joe's old, but I did not know that he was raised in the musket generation. But apparently he was raised at a time which in which single shot or single iron ball muskets were the uh, were the only weapon available. But he wants to go back to to those days. Apparently, no more multiple bu- bullet firing uh, weapons. Um, Again, this is this is Joe's do something. Everybody on the left and everybody who seems to think that guns rise up on their own and commit terrible acts of mass murder are, are uh, you know, these people are screaming, do something. The politicians have to do something. Uh, that's his take. What's yours? Well, my take is maybe I missed something, but my SIG and my Glock magazines both have multiple rounds. When you have a magazine, you're going to have multiple rounds. That's the whole idea of a magazine. Aside from that, I mean, we can go into the Second Amendment and everything else that he completely missed. But um, there, there's a very he good He said reason. those limitations would not be a violation of the Second Amendment. I'm sorry to interrupt. Well, but that's it's, it's yeah, one of the weird things yeah. that they do. They say, we're not saying we're taking away your guns. We're just going to take away all of your ammo. Or we're going to take away your semi-automatic guns or your quote-unquote weapons of war. You know, forgetting the fact that right. or not knowing the fact that all guns are semi-automatic. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, and we have to keep that in mind. I think that's important to remember because he's not alone. There's a a fairly significant cohort on the left that truly would eliminate these things if they could. And they know it's difficult for them to do because the litigation would prevent them from doing it because the Second Amendment stands in their way. But they'll go to friendly environs to try to get judges that might agree with them, you know, in various uh, circuits or states where they may be more favorably disposed to curtail or curb Second Amendment rights. But they're getting a little bit more clever, as we've seen over the last several years, about how to restrain or or impinge upon Second Amendment rights without any direct overt assault on the right to bear arms, per se. What they try to do is raise taxes on ammunition or prohibit certain types of ammunition or, you know, things of that nature. And, you know, these are folks who, you know, a number of people have made the statement that they generally live in uh, uh, gated communities or they've got bodyguards who protect them and so on and so forth. But the problem is, you know, I was thinking of, it's funny, I was just talking with uh, one of my family members uh, yesterday that lives in a rural area and... um, she was saying that she wanted to have as many weapons as possible because of the police response time is so long because they live way out in the sticks. Now, if you're by yourself and you've got one bullet and one gun, because that's what Biden's talking about, is, you know, no multiple round um, uh, weapons. Uh, if you're like me, you need more than one round just to hit the target. Uh, especially in a tense, every, everybody who's ever shot knows this. It's tough enough hitting a stationary target at the shooting range. And for yours truly, who's the worst world shot, that's a real challenge. Consider the challenge when things are on the line, when you are scared, when you can't see because it's dark, when you don't know where your adversary necessarily is or how he's moving. Uh, that's why you have multiple rounds, uh, Joe, and that's an infringement on your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. You want self-defense, not some kind of a show. It's very easy for people who do have that kind of security around them at all times to talk about this very blithely. But in the real world, real law-abiding Americans 
need and want weapons for self-defense and also for things such as hunting and also for sport. These are legitimate concerns, and one of the most um, telling things when you hear these celebrities and folks on the left talk about restraints on firearms is how we never hear when they go absolutely nuts or ballistic, uh, no pun intended, about shootings such as what happened in Odessa or elsewhere. They never mention the daily carnage we see at Democratic-run jurisdictions like Chicago and Baltimore and Newark and Philadelphia. You know, we to, to that texting. point, Pete, if I may, to that point, so people can have a real apples to apples here. The shootings in Midland and Odessa, terrible as they were, took five lives, I believe, and injured 22. The shootings in Chicago this weekend, seven dead, 35 shot and injured. Not a word. Not a word. Not on MSNBC, CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS. None of them. It is, as you say, it's not really daily, it's weekly. Every weekend between Friday and Sunday, at least a couple dozen, oftentimes three and four dozen people are shot, and six to eight to ten or more are killed, and not a single word in gun control Chicago. Go ahead. Yeah, the problem for them is that it challenges several closely held narratives of the left to do so. The big problem we've got, we had, you know, firearms all over the United States throughout our history. But there's been a change over the last few years, and maybe even the last couple of decades. There's been a change that has nothing to do with firearms, another, and has nothing to do with uh, multiple round magazines, none, n- nothing like that whatsoever. Nothing to do with the AR-15, that scary little gun. It has to do with breakdowns in societal norms that the left doesn't want to address, and in fact, many of their policies have been fostering. It's interesting to me that the environments and jurisdictions where there's the greatest carnage on an average basis are democratically controlled areas. They are areas with the strictest gun control. But we know on the right, because we've seen this constantly, we've been talking about it to a blue in the face, but it challenges the Dems and the, the liberals policy prescriptions is that the societal breakdown, big breakdown, the family breakdown, which yes. has been fostered and promoted by Democrat liberal policies. Let's face it, you're not allowed to say these things according to the media. You know, if you say these things, it's racist. But the fact of the matter is that is true. That is the case. If you did a real statistical apples to apples comparison you draw the line you see greater correlations between family breakdown and these kinds of shooting or drug usage which is related to family breakdown all other types of societal norms the lack or the reduction in religious observation you know now religion has been painted as being something akin to evil that if you are uh, an observant catholic or an observant protestant that somehow you are a racist you're a homophobe and the next thing you want to do is shoot those people uh, these are the kind of things these types of breakdowns are the things that have led to the kind of toxic environments that promote this kind of of activity and also there's you know i don't mean to be too um simplistic about it There are a number of factors that go into this that have contributed to this, and one of them is, uh, for lack of a better term, the copycat um, syndrome, and that is we have seen so much of this now that it seems almost normal, so to speak, that those who might otherwise not have done 
anything like a mass shooting 15, 20 years ago, now see this, it becomes a possibility. It's something that you know, is some, uh, that someone who is a little bit off may decide to do, as opposed to in the past, he may have just, who knows what he would have done, something other, uh, something else that was a little nuts or crazy. But now more and more people are doing these kinds of things. So um, the left has no answer for the true causes. In fact, they know that their policies promote these kinds of situations, but they don't want to address them. Person hours our guest discussing red flag laws, uh, universal background tra- checks, and Pete. I absolutely am so glad to hear you talk about the family breakdown. This is something that Larry Elder and I know you know this, having been on his show and heard him for so long. <clears throat> is constantly beating the drum over and not just in the black community he talks about the 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 fatherlessness and uh you know in the black community as being the reason for so much of the uh violence and so many of the other problems within the black community but that really does cross all racial boundaries in my my mind when you look at the number of these mass shooters who are predominantly white in these types of incidents so many of them have the same exact thing no family structure no father or if there is a father uh and a mother they're 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 absent they're neglectful maybe they're there's drug dependency or drug usage in their par- on their parts, but these kids are growing up with rudderless, essentially. And uh, that's one commonality in all of these shootings. In fact, you know, mental illness I talked about for the first half hour of the program, the president is pointing to, why aren't we looking at the root causes of what lead these people to be the way they are, whether it's family structure or their own mental problems? The, the concern is... It looks like things may be getting worse because we see multiple reports of greater incidences of young people, millennials, who have a host of emotional and mental problems that uh, prior generations didn't have in larger percentages and at a younger age also. So I think we may unfortunately be at the beginning edge of many of these problems. And of course, the left is going to attribute it to guns. Aside from everything else, let's talk about logistics. At bare minimum, we believe there are a minimum. This is bare minimum. We believe there are approximately 300 million firearms in the United States. And I bet you it's three times larger than that. Um, There's no way of preventing gun violence without confiscating the vast majority of them. That w- that's what needs to be done. Otherwise, you're just tinkering around the edges. The left knows they can't say that, but that's the only thing that will happen. And you can tell from their praise of, for example, what happened in New Zealand or the Australian gun confiscation. And, you know, Beto O'Rourke virtually comes out and says it. But that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Now, whenever there's been gun buybacks or confiscations in other countries, It wasn't the kind of country the United States of America is. We weren't talking about half a billion. I I happen to believe the the figure is closer to a billion than than the 300 million that people talk about. But in a nation where there are a billion private firearms or even 300 million private firearms, that ain't happening. It's just not going to happen. It is not realistic. It is not going to happen. In addition to that, politically, it can't happen. There's, uh, regardless of what the left wants to do, the majority of Americans wants the right to defend themselves. And it's an inalienable right. It's part of our Constitution, and they're going to have to change the Constitution in order to effectuate their desires. So from a logistical perspective, from a practical perspective, from a constitutional perspective, all the things they're talking about aren't going to be done. They will tinker around the edges and they'll continue to make this a campaign issue or a political issue for their own advantage, but they know it's not happening. 
Peter Kersenow is our guest. Pete, I want to pivot after this time out to talk about two things we just mentioned in passing, race and politics. Uh, the left is very, very fearful about black America waking up and moving toward Donald Trump, and they're willing to do anything to stop it. I want to get your thoughts on that as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, after this. All right, 1024 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer, with Peter Kersenow. Peter, uh, I want to switch gears, as I noted, away from the gun issue to just the political issue. Um, Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milano, and many others are going just completely off the rails. Not that they were on them to begin with for, for quite some time now, but um, but some of them are really, really starting to, to lose it. Uh, Deborah Messing tweeted and promoted a message uh, from an Alabama church, I believe it is, that uh, had a, a little uh, marquee out front of the church that said on one side, um, a, vo- a black vote for Trump is mental illness. On the on the flip side of that sign, so you can see it from the other side of the road, says a white vote for Trump is pure racism. Now, they are really trying to convince black Americans that you cannot possibly support this white supremacist. You can't possibly support this neo-Nazi, this racist uh, Donald Trump. Uh, I think they're really, really starting to see the movement, the movement that has not just been started by Candace Owens, among others, but has been really popularized, calling it Blexit, the black exit from the Democrat Party. It does seem as though more and more and more black Americans, whether they're speaking out on it or not, are willing to look at and listen to the other side, recognizing that Democrats have not done anything for them. Um, is this a real movement, and what do you make of celebrities trying to stop it? Um, well, the, the second part, celebrities trying to stop it, is it's, it's a joke. Um, but nonetheless, uh, with respect to the first aspect of the question, is it a real movement? It is, but I wouldn't overstate it. Um, the fact of the matter is I think that there are a lot of black Americans who are tired of the rhetoric they've been getting from Democrats. They've seen what uh, Democratic policies have led to, have accomplished, uh, contrary to Trump. Um, but um, what's really interesting about those comments or that sign and Deborah Messing's retweeting of, of the sign or tweeting of the sign is um, how absolutely insane it is. And that's, frankly, putting it mildly, that somehow um, black Americans who support Trump are mentally ill. Uh, then what is self-interest? In other words, if, if you're claiming that supporting a particular person, candidate, politician is somehow a sign of mental illness because presumably it's contrary to your self-interest. Is it in your self-interest to remain mired in poverty? Is it in your self-interest to have, um, not even to have a job? Is it in your self-interest to have advocates on your behalf who will advocate, or purportedly on your behalf, who advocate policies that lead to financial ruin, lead to the breakdown of the family, lead to uh, a frayed social structure? Take a look at Democrat-controlled cities, majority black cities, and look at the carnage and ruin in those places. In many of those cities, like a Detroit, which has not seen a Republican mayor in more than 65 years, you went from having the wealthiest city in the world, not just the country, to what it is right now, uninterrupted 
Democrat rule. Same with Baltimore. Same with so many of these other cities that are utterly dysfunctional, where black lives don't matter, where black lives are in misery and poverty, where the school systems are completely falling apart. It seems to me that if you're going to be talking about a mental illness, it would be to abide by a system like that and continually repeating that. The old different definition of, you know, mental illness or insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, Democrats are continually reelected to these positions and the environments continue to crumble and get worse. But I do think that there's a little bit around the edges, a little bit of a movement toward or away from the Democratic Party, not necessarily toward the Republican Party or a wholesale embrace. It's going to take time for something like that to happen because the Democrats have engaged in historical jujitsu on a mag- just a, a huge scale because if it's insane to vote for a Republican, recall that the Democratic Party is the party of slavery and racism. It is the party that opposed the Emancipation Proclamation, the 13th Amendment prohibiting slavery, the 14th Amendment guaranteeing equal rights, the 15th Amendment guaranteeing voting rights, Republican anti-lynching legislation. They promoted Jim Crow, you know, all of the icons of racism in this country, such as uh, George Wallace, Lester Maddox, Orville Faubus, uh, Bull Connor. These were, these were all Democrats. The Klan was the military wing of the Democratic Party, literally the military wing of the Democratic Party. I've got to give the Democrats credit, though. They have always been the party of race. Regardless of how you look at it, they're enmeshed in race. But they've been able, with the assistance of our educational establishments and the media, to switch the narrative around as if they are somehow the champions, the protectors of minorities in America, and when historically nothing could be further than the truth, and not just historically, presently their policies currently enacted, whether or not they have a racial cast to them or not, have demonstrably negative effects on the black community. So if anyone is mentally ill, I would say it's Deborah Messing for tweeting something so ridiculous. Peter, uh, on the other side of the news, I'm going to ask you for the flip side of that sign. The other side of that sign said a vote, vote for Trump is uh, a white vote for Trump is pure racism because Trump voters and Republicans in general, general are sick and tired of being called racist. And uh, uh, I want to get your thoughts on that as we continue as well. There's an article and a story that that uh, goes along with that. We'll discuss after the news on AM 1420. Opinion, insight. This is AM fourteen. All right, ten thirty four. Now the Bob France Authority continues. One final segment with Peter Kersenow on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Uh, by the way, coming up when Peter and I are done, I've got a special treat for you. My friend Khalid Namar, uh, who is the uh, co-founder of the American Trinity Project with Dan Messina, they're hosting their Liberty Lounge event, the keynote speaker at Wagner's of Westlake on uh, Thursday. This Thursday, of course, is my friend and my regular Thursday guest, Dr. Everett Piper. This Liberty Lounge event, Keeping the Republic with Dr. Piper and also Mike Gibbons and uh, Tom Zawistowski, uh, is coming up on Thursday. Khalid has asked me to give away two free tickets to a listener sometime this morning. That will happen right after Peter Kersenow and I are finished. So you're going to want to make sure you are uh, ready to dial for that. Uh, listen for the cue to call. All right, Pete, uh, I want to stay... <clears throat> 
on the issue, issue of race, uh, the other side of that sign in the church in Alabama said that a Trump a vote, a white vote for Trump, is pure racism. I want to share. Uh, a couple of points from an article at PJ, uh, PJ Media. Trump supporters are sick and tired of being called racist. Quote, of course it's unfair, of course it's stupid, but it is effective. Because when you call your political opponent a racist, the word still has the power to shut down debate, making the accuser the clear winner. So there's an element of naked power in the use of the word racist that is politically enticing. But for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Reaction, rather. The backlash against this obscenely casual use of the word that tars innocent people with the ugliest of epithets is generally the totally unexpected, a tsunami of support for Donald Trump. And Pete, that is what they're doing. They're trying their darndest to to convince anybody that if you vote for this guy, what does it say about you? You're a racist and you don't even know it because you are supporting somebody uh, so blindly. And uh, and they're trying to, you know, obviously trying to convince people to either stay away from the polls or vote for somebody who has a completely different uh, ideological viewpoint on this country than they do. I think they're making a serious mistake, and I think the smarter ones know it. That they're in a vice right now, a major league vice. That is that when they've been doing this, it's been over the top, and every single day we're hearing it. They're accusing Trump and or his supporters of being racists or engaging in a racist activity, and uh, which is not true, and people know it. They can see it. Um, the problem for them is this is a version of Hillary's deplorables statement. You don't win friends and influence people by calling them racist. And I agree with the article that I think it is increasing support for Trump. It's also promoting the dynamic we saw in the last few elections where people know, you know, when they hear a pollster uh, calling them or see a pollster uh, calling them up, they either don't answer or they they answer in a misleading fashion because they want to be considered a racist or whatever it may be, a deplorable. So what you see in polls is an understating of Trump's support. But I do think that there's a not insignificant percentage of voters that are being either pushed into the Trump camp because they're being called racist, or they become even firmer Trump supporters. In other words, more likely to turn out for the vote. The problem for the Democrats is even the the smarter ones who know that this is a real problem for them, uh, because look, you got to get the quote-unquote deplorables in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the states that gave Trump, you know, broke the blue wall and gave Trump the election, the electoral vote, You can't be insulting people. It's not the best electoral strategy to call potential voters racists. Um, But on the other side of the spectrum, you know, by by they've got to do this. The Democrats got to do this because they have seen the dynamic that I think a few weeks ago we talked about. And I had a post on National Review about this. That is that Democrats typically get anywhere from 88 to 92 percent of the national black vote, and they have to get that in order to win a national election. If they fall significantly or not even insignificantly, a couple of points below that, they don't win. Well, Hillary Clinton did get 90 percent of the black vote. The problem is the turnout wasn't there. She got four million fewer black votes than Barack Obama. That sent smart Democratic strategists nuts. They they went they became apoplectic when they see that. So even though every election cycle they trot out the old thing about racism, I mean they've been doing it ever since I've been alive. They've got to do that because they have to have that robust black support to have a chance of winning. But this time it's gone off the charts. 
And I think that it, it is going to backfire against them. That's my personal opinion. I think that we saw a, a taste of that during the 2016 election. But also, it's at one point, you could at least plausibly say to those who maybe weren't following Donald Trump, I mean, he was, not, he, he was a known person, but not a national figure, maybe you could have sold them in 2016 that he's a racist. And of course, since then, They've been hitting the drum beat and citing every little thing possible and, and just outright lying about things such as Charlottesville in order to paint him as a racist. But after a while, it's like when you watch CNN and MSNBC and every other day they've got to retract something related to Russia or something else. You start to say, well, wait a minute, the boy is crying wolf like crazy here. At some point, it use, loses its effectiveness and utility. And I do think we're at a point of no return for the whole racist accusation. I don't think it's got the kind of motivational uh, import that it used to have in previous elections, and I think it is backfiring. I, I, I really believe that. And I see, you know, when I go out and I talk to various groups, and I'm talking to, um, you know, a black audience or black uh, uh, uh uh, individuals who maybe not have made a decision or are kind of lukewarm, kind of, you know, check the box Democrats. Um, people get this kind of stuff. You know, they're trying to figure out what is that Trump has done that's racist. Everything in the world is racist. And it sure, there's a lot of people who are very comfortable thinking that every little negative thing that befalls them is not due to their own agency, but has something to do with some great overarching racist institutional racism in the United States or racist action on the part of some employer or school or something else. But in any person who's got any kind of sense, who's been on this earth for more than 10 years, understands that, you know what, 99 times out of 100, your own agency is the reason for something that, you know, didn't go your way or for something that went your way, not anything that someone had to do. And in the year 2019, here we are, you know, 11 years after the first black president was elected. We are 60 years after the 1964 Civil Rights Act. It's getting harder and harder to sustain the accusation of racism, but we're hearing it thrown around more profligately than at any time in my lifetime. And in fact, we've got the New York Times who've decided to completely rewrite history and make racism front and center. It's the, it's the cause of everything, even quantum physics, as far as they're concerned. So I think it's going to boomerang against them. Um, I'm hopeful it boomerangs against them because I think it's toxic to our culture. I think it's toxic to our society. And, um, frankly, our political discourse has been, been coarsened as a result of this. So I'm hopeful it fails, and I actually am more than hopeful. I think there's pretty good evidence that it will fail. Pete, last thing then, um, what advice do you have for white people like me? Um, Get a chance. Is, is it <laughs> well done, well played? Um, given what you just said, and given what uh, you know, some of the other uh, uh, 
data might suggest that it's going to backfire on them. These, these constant allegations that if you vote with Trump and if you are a white person, you are, you are a racist and you're a, you're a Nazi, you're a white supremacist, et cetera. Do we sit silently and let it happen knowing that it's going, it's going to generate more of us to vote for him? Uh, you know, in that boomerang, boomerang effect that you're talking about, or, um, do we continue to try to silence it and defend ourselves? That's the irony here. The, the difficulty for us, the, the conundrum is that I, nobody likes that. I, I don't like being called a racist because I support Donald Trump. Nobody does, and I want to prove I'm not, and he's not. And we get into this fight, and maybe that's counterproductive. Maybe we should just sit silent, let them say what they're going to say, knowing that it ticks more and more of us off, and we're going to quietly ignore those poll phone calls that you're talking about, and we're just going to come out and we're going to vote. We're going to do it without anybody knowing that we are. Yeah. I mean, it's it's easy for me. We discussed this a couple times before. It's easy for me to give you advice because I don't suffer the same kind of blowback. It's a different type of blowback. Yeah, you, know? you do. Um, you suffer a different kind. Yeah, a different kind. But here's the thing. Uh, I would liken this to the difference between George W. Bush and Donald Trump. Um, George W. Bush got called all kinds of names, many of the same names that Donald Trump got called. Not as viciously, not as frequently, but, you know, with respect to Iraq, Bush lied, people died, people died, you know, all kinds of things like that. And Bush would never respond. Um, I think it's important to push back. If somebody accuses you of something that slanders you, uh, libels you, calls you a racist, and that's probably the worst thing in American society you can be called, if somebody says that, you push back. Not necessarily in a, you know, a violent way or you know, uh, uh, aggressively, but simply push back and say, no, not true, you're lying. I think it has to be done frequently by a lot of people. Stand up and don't let see the left because they've got control of the media, educational institutions, most of our institutions, frankly, there's this sense that they're in control, and they're not. Most Americans believe, as you and I do, Bob, that's the reality of it. That was one of the lessons of 2016, when the left controlled everything, and on that night, we saw all those faces on these various news reports when they were shocked, devastated, because they knew Hillary was going to win a landslide. But I think because they only talk to themselves, because few of us speak up, they're content to go their merry way. Now, there's, you know, we could, you know, sabotage them and undercut them during an election. That's very, but I don't think they're going to be necessarily that um, surprised next time. But I do think for the health of our society, it's important to correct the record and not permit people to say things as vile as calling someone racist simply because you have a political disagreement or simply because you happen to point out that, say, a black-run city is falling apart. If you say it about a white-run city or a Hispanic-run city, you know, it's the same thing. It's falling apart for certain reasons, completely independent of race. But point it out, correct the record. We need to have a frank and honest discussion in this country and not let the left clearly lie about this stuff and call us the worst names in the world. That's what I was hoping to hear because it's, you know, as much as it might be just, you know, let's just sit by and let them do this knowing that it's going to backfire on them. It's almost impossible to do. You hear yourself being referred to in the worst of ways. And it is. I can, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything else that you can be called in, in modern day America that is worse of an insult and a slur and a slander than, than being called a racist when you are not one. Uh, maybe if you're called homophobe or this or that or the other thing, you know, maybe, but, but I think racist is the worst there is. And, uh, uh, and it's really impossible to not defend yourself in such a way. Peter Kersenow, fantastic job as always, my friend. Uh, God bless. Uh, appreciate your time, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Go Browns.
Feeling dangerous. Feeling dangerous. Loving it every step of the way. Thank you, Pete. That's Peter Kirsten now on AM 1420. The answer will take our time out here. Actually, no, not a time out yet. I told you when I was going to do this. Liberty Lounge, which is um, uh, an organization that has uh, been put together by the American Tr- Trinity Project. My friends Khalid Damar and Dan Messina are the co-founders of the American uh, Trinity Project, founded under these uh, three principles, liberty, uh, in God we trust, and e pluribus unum. That is the Trinity. And uh, their Liberty Lounge event headlined, Keeping the Republic, for this Thursday at Wagner's of Westlake. I've got tickets for you. If you are caller number six right now, I'm just picking six randomly, but be the sixth caller to 216-901-0945. Khalid has asked me to give two tickets away to loyal listeners who would love to attend this event. If you are not the winner of those tickets at 216-901-0945, you can purchase them uh, by going to the... Uh, um, uh, American Trinity Project website, which is americantrinityproject.org, americantrinityproject.org. Uh, org. My um, uh, Thursday guest, my regular Thursday guest, Dr. Everett Piper, is the keynote speaker at this event, which will be moderated by uh, Tom Zawasowski, my uh, good friend and the uh, founder of the We the People Convention. Uh, uh, website or, or organization, we the people convention.org. And, uh, Mike Gibbons, former Senate, uh, candidate is going to be there as well. Uh, Jeff Sindelar, prominent Cleveland attorney <clears throat> is going to be there as well. So this Liberty Lounge event is very, very cool. So I got a pair of tickets for you if you are caller number six at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. And we're back with our final segment right after this. An extraordinary adventure to Israel can be yours. Join the Stand with Israel tour with Dennis Prager and Mike Gallagher. Happening December 2nd through the 11th, 2019. Register today at whkradio.com. All right, 10.54 now. The Bob Branson 30 final segment of the morning. I uh, want to say, did I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I kind of need the name of that winner there, uh, and we will give that uh, uh, to uh, our good friends at the Tom Weirden. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, so congratulations to Tom. He's going to be going to uh, the Liberty Lodge event uh, uh, that is coming up, Keeping the Republic, on Thursday. So we will set you up. Your tickets will be at the door. Let me get a few phone calls in here before the top of the hour as well. And by, In fact, well, yeah, I guess I will since I promised. But I have a couple of other comments that I want to make before we're done as well. Uh, Mary Grace in Old Brooklyn is next. Uh, Mary Grace, go right ahead. God bless you. Thank you. I and you as well. I always listen to you, and I just say stay on track. I'm always praying for you. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Is that it? Oh, yes. okay. Just, just, just a prayer. Just a prayer from Sister Mary Grace this morning. All right, I'll accept it. I, uh, I will always accept it because God knows that I need them. <laughs> TJ in Cleveland, go ahead, TJ. Yeah, you know, Bob. What's scary about this Marine that was uh, guns were confiscated and he was forced into a, you know, an institution. Now, let's just say we'll just say in your house. Well, no, no, no. Let me no, no. Hold on. He was not forced into an institution. He had to okay. go for an evaluation, and they took his guns for up to, uh, up to a year, and then it can be indefinite after that if he doesn't prove to be more, I don't know, uh, fit or whatever right. to 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 exercise his Second Amendment rights. Well, well, here's the the problem I have with a lot of this, and I'm just going to use this as a an example. Let's say you own a gun, or you own a few. And this happens to you. But your wife owns one or two. Maybe you have an adult child that lives in the house that does. 
Now, not only are they trampling on your constitutional rights, now they're going to trample on your wife's constitutional rights, who made no threats, did anything wrong, or, or an adult child. I mean, where do they stop? How many people are they going to trample on before they get what they want? Well, that's just another example of, of the problem with these red flag laws. That's what I was trying to get through to... Um uh, to Governor DeWine last week. Uh, you know, there, there are just too many individuals, uh, who, and too many ways, let me put it that way, too many ways to violate individuals' rights. It, from the Marine in this case, to, as you said, to family members who want to have weapons in the home for self-defense or personal protection. Uh, you know, again, to anybody, here's the thing, he, uh, uh, TJ, this Marine, neither this Marine nor anybody else who has to go through this, they they don't have to lose their guns and actually have them taken away by law enforcement as they were. All they have to do is be accused and they lose because you have to then hire an attorney and go to court to prove that you're not a nut, to prove that you're not somebody who's going to be a threat to other people, to prove that you're not going to commit a future crime. They are literally making people go to extraordinarily uh, uh, expensive legal measures to 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 prove that they're not going to do something they have not done yet, and that's that just cannot be legal in any you know a democratically run society we are a representative republic but democracy is our, is our prevailing rule it, we can't do that not in a free society tj no i know and you know if it gets down to like putting people under observation for threats what about madonna what about robert de niro what about all these lefties with their threats should they be rounded up and sent for observation to see if they're really serious or not i mean why why just stop it you know the gun owner i mean you threaten to blow up the white house that's a threat Let's let's yeah. have a shrink look at you. But, but and here's talk what to it would take if, if it's legitimate. But here's what it would take. It would take um, somebody who is close to those people to report them and say, "I think my friend Madonna or my family member Madonna or whatever uh, is who threatened to blow up the White House could be a threat to a danger to other people. So uh, you better investigate and take her guns away, and then make well, her they go make to it on national television, Bob. There's, there's millions of people that well, I know. That, well, well I know that, but be- a lot. They yeah, I, I know that, but in. a lot of people. Yeah, but 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 it doesn't work that way. I mean, I can't just say, uh, you know, because I saw something on TV that I think uh, you have to drag this person into court. It has to be somebody who knows them personally, somebody who knows them intimately, to say whether or not it was just popping off at the mouth or not. That's the that's the the crux of what this is. Because I mean, and, and, and look, there's no there's no right way, right? There's no right way to deny somebody their due process. There's no right way to do it. Whether you say, I saw somebody on TV make a statement, and therefore I demand that you look them up, uh, which look into them, which they won't do, or if it is somebody that you know that you just heard in a private setting, you know, make a statement that you felt to be threatening. Because as I said to the governor, and I'll say again now in, re- in reaction to this story and to all of the other continued calls for red flag laws, all it takes is an accusation of mental instability to have your guns taken away from you and have you go through this process. And to some people, mental instability is proven by wearing a red cap. It literally can be that simple and thus that dangerous. So that's that's the real big issue here, or it's one of the very, very you know many real big issues here. All right, that's it. Thank you again to my guest, Peter Kirsten. Now, thanks to you for listening, being a part of the show. Thanks to our crew. Stay where you are. Mike Gallagher is coming up next on AM 1420. Enjoy the silence. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.